Hello and welcome to Even the Trunchbull, our show about children's books and why we still love them as adults. She's Nina. They're Matt. And we think that children's books are for everyone because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the Trunchbull. Trunchbull. They're all mistakes, children. Filthy, nasty things. Glad I never was one. From Roald Dahl's beloved Matilda, despite her protestations. So usually in this podcast we review one picture book and one chapter book each week. But as usual, as it's the series finale, we're doing something a bit different this week. So first of all, we'd like to announce the winner of our Christmas giveaway, and it's Alison Scrivens. Yay! Congratulations! Your bag of presents will be winging its way to you as soon as possible. We hope you get it in time for Christmas. And thanks to everyone else who entered too. Congratulations! Really hope you enjoy the gifts. So what are we doing this week, Nina? So this week, I'll be taking you on a whistle-stop tour of children's adaptations and retellings of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Yeah, so basically, we're going to talk about Christmas Carol. I've just read Christmas Carol, and then you're going to take us through the adaptations, which I haven't read, but I can quiz you about those. That's right. So we're just really leaning into the Matt doesn't do the research angle (laughs) this week. I have read Christmas Carol. I loved it. I think it's, it's actually the first Dickens I've read. It's the first Dickens I read, too. It's one of the more accessible ones, I think. Yeah, Dickens has always been one that I'd meant to read, and I think there's something in my head that goes, oh, it's long though, isn't it? <laughs> and it is, you know, it's very wordy writing. The wordiness is the style of the time, but yeah. he does it very well. The level of description is gorgeous. I mean, I guess in some respects it was the equivalent of TV at the time. It feels that way, yeah. It's a really concise story. It has that feel of being written on the hoof. Yeah, he wrote it really quickly. Yeah. I think he had the idea in November and had it out by December. Well, the other thing as well, I mean, I guess he was already reasonably famous by yeah, this he point. Was. It was published on December 19th and the first <laughs> edition had sold out by Christmas Eve. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Like that desire to entertain and talk mm. directly to you is so evident. Yeah. The opening passage is a classic one. We're talking oh, it's about. my favourite. Shall I read it? Shall we have? Yeah, please do. A little, a little passage reading. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade. But the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, and my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it or the country's done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. You're right. That's extremely Pratchett. It is. It is really Pratchett, and you yeah. cannot. I mean, you can also totally <laughs> see where this idea of him being paid by the word came from. It it feels like a stage show. It feels like a like a one man show. As someone who writes one person shows it, it does kind <laughs> it of read that, that like that. Yeah, like cool opening. We're going to get to know the audience. We're going to have a bit of bit of lightness, bit of jokes, like bit of playfulness. I mean, I think we all know the story of A Christmas Carol. I still think you should give a very quick version of it. So Scrooge, he's a miser, very concerned with money above all. He's like an accountant or a... He's a money lender. 
A money lender, yeah. A lot of adaptations make him a landlord as well. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've all had those landlords. <laughs> or rather, more recently, letting agents, I think, are the, yes. the ones that I really like that. But yeah, so it's Christmas Eve and people are coming in a wish him Merry Christmas and he's having none of it. Someone comes around from a charity asking at this hard time of year for donations to the poor children and he says, well, are the prisons not open? And they had better go ahead and die and decrease the surplus population. Aye, yeah, he'd fit in pretty well in the current British government. Yep. Scrooge is visited by, at first, the ghost of his deceased partner in business, Marley, who's wearing chains made of iron links, but also ledgers and deeds and... Money boxes. It's a chain that he's built through his life. And he comes to Scrooge and says, I'm in terrible, constant torture. I'm in purgatory. You can still avoid this. You will be visited by three spirits. Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Christmas past, and then the ghost of Christmas present, and then the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And basically through these visions, shown the person he used to be before he became as bitter and twisted as he is and what he's lost through that. Christmas present shows him basically various people that Scrooge knows having a laugh at his expense whilst being <laughs> poor together, but together on Christmas Day and feasting. Yeah. And then Christmas yet to come gets really grim and basically this ghost who doesn't... Sp- it's the Grim Reaper, isn't it? Is a cl- classic vision of death. Basically, Christmas future shows him his own death and the only emotions that arise from this amongst anyone are either indifference or happiness. Yeah. And so by this point, Scrooge is beside himself and begging to avoid this fate. But then Scrooge wakes up and finds himself in his own bed again. And it's it's Christmas Day. No time has passed at all. He runs manically out into the street, giving money to people, bumps into the charity guy that he'd sent away and writes an undisclosed but presumably huge amount of money out to him. And buys an enormous turkey and sends it to his clerk's house. Yeah, and is a transformed man. Um, we were talking about the sacrificial disabled person last week with rags and bones in I Saw Three Ships. This is the same. Tiny Tim as, like, the figure of pity. Oh, I thought I'd sit in the church with my little withered legs and then people would remember that Jesus even made lame men walk. Um, you know, and that people can feel sorry for me and be glad of Jesus or something. It's awful. So this is Bob Cratchit's son, isn't it? Scrooge's yeah. Clark's son. It yeah. is awful. I mean, I, I guess maybe at the time it was probably quite progressive to have a disabled character at all. He's disabled so, and yeah. not a villain. But yeah, to a, to a modern lens, it is pretty awful. One of the things that struck me is like the real horror in this. Yeah. It's a ghost story. It's a scary ghost story. Like, if we can have another passage, yeah, the description absolutely. of um, Ghost of Christmas Past is, like, ghoulishly cartoonish. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man viewed through some supernatural medium which gave him the appearance of having receded from the view and being diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair which hung about its neck and down its back was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. 
The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, most delicately formed, were like those upper members bare. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. Like, yeah. It's, like, so it's like an old man baby with yeah. like massive Popeye arms. <laughs> It's yeah. just the most horrendous image, right? Like, it's me really stop and think about it. But like, really funny. A lot of this book is just really funny. And I really like the line about Bob Cratchit trying to warm himself by the candle, but not me being a man of great imagination, failing to do so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite archaic, but I think, I mean, given that I think it's now 176 years old. Yeah. I think it's pretty accessible as a modern reader, you know? Yeah, I think so. So, you've read this age 28 for the first time? Yeah. I was 27 when I read it for the first time last year. And I think that's about right. We are not in this podcast suggesting that your child read this book or that you read this book in its unadapted, unabridged form to your children. I don't think they need Dickens. However, I want to approach this story as a kind of fairy tale, which I think it sort of is, right? Yeah, totally. In that the characters, while they're brilliantly, vividly described, they're archetypes. You know, we've got the bad boss and the innocent disabled child and the good young nephew and the humble worker. Um, And then, you know, you've got the supernatural influence of the ghosts and it's a morality story and it is retold everywhere. I mean... Doctor Who has done it at least twice and I think that makes perfect sense because it's supernatural it's also pretty sci-fi right it's a time travel story yeah it is totally and as I said before like the genuine horror in it is is quite well written like it is a ghost story yeah yeah and this is the beginning of ghost stories for Christmas really Mm. at least in the UK Helen Zaltzman of The Illusionist did a show about how Charles Dickens made Christmas as we know it, which I'll link in the show notes. That's an amazing thing, to invent Christmas as a time of giving. Well, he was, as we know, very concerned with justice, and it's the industrial era, and very rich people having very nice lives, and very poor people having very short and brutal lives. I mean, it's still written from a position of massive privilege. Yeah, sure. For example, you could ask, why does Scrooge get this miracle? And why... Is he so easily forgiven and redeemed when, you know, there's still people out there starving? And I think that's a fair question, but I think I would take you back then to... It's a fairy tale with a very small cast. Yeah. Scrooge is standing in for a lot of people. He was sort of deliberately peddling folk tales to the upper middle classes. I think one of the difficult things about this story now is that Scrooge is a miserly old capitalist boss. And children Um. are not miserly old capitalist bosses. I think he's a difficult character to empathise with as a child. So a lot of these adaptations we're going to go through give you someone else to root for. Right. They give you a narrator or they tell it from a different character's point of view that's easier to relate to. And I think that makes sense. I think Scrooge is difficult. So I've seen some adaptations for really little children and I considered covering some. There's a Dora the Explorer one. There's a picture book. To be honest, I don't think your toddlers need A Christmas Carol. It's a book about (laughs) mortality, time travel and capitalism. 
entirely irrelevant to them, skip it. Read them something they're interested in. It is quite an adult book. Yeah. So, like, there have been adaptations of this story for very little children. I wouldn't bother. So, shall we jump into the adaptations that we do have, then? Yes. So... What have you got for us? If you, as an adult, want the original text of A Christmas Carol on, do listen to Patrick Stewart's abridged performance of it. It's great. He performs it in a really funny way. I think it makes a lot of the language easier to hear it performed. So that's number one. That's closest to the original. We're starting closest and moving away, yeah. I understand. Yes, that's what so we're So that's doing. number one is Patrick Stewart reading more or less the text as it was. Um, he's reading, I think, Dickens's abridged version, and it's a great performance. So, closest. Nice. Second closest, I would say if you actually want a beautiful, sort of designy edition... Um, so you know Barrington Stoke is the dyslexia publisher? Yes. Barrington Stoke have a dyslexia-friendly one that's got a really nice cover design. So if you wanted, like, you know, an edition to just have lying around as decoration at Christmas. So it's this, like, light blue background with a motif of chains and padlocks and cash boxes around the edges. And then front and centre, there's mm. the infamous knocker with Marley's face in it, with his spectacles upturned mm. upon his forehead. And then there's sort of like a holly motif around the words mm. A Christmas Carol. It looks very Christmassy, doesn't it? Yeah. As designy covers mm. go, I think this one's lovely. And I like that it hasn't, as is sometimes the case with Barrington Stoke books, it hasn't got a big dyslexia-friendly mm. sign all over it. Um, it's just a really nice addition. The print's really nice and big. It doesn't take away any of the story. It's not abridged. The language is just brought up to date and made simpler. So that's number two. So we've got Barrington Stoke. So, Angela McAllister of Diggory the Dragonslayer fame. Aye, yeah, remember her well. This year, she's got this book out called A World Full of Dickens Stories. And it is fully illustrated by Janneke Hansen in this sort of Nordic style so after the cover page, each story has this page, which is the cast of characters. So it introduces you to everyone in the book with a little portrait and their name and like a quick description of who they are. So you get the cast of characters first and then you get this very abridged, very simply told Christmas Carol. This takes like maybe eight pages in this book. So it's really quick. Jacob Marley had been dead for seven years and hard-hearted Scrooge had given them very little thought since. But that night, as Scrooge put his key in the lock of the door, the pale, ghostly face of Jacob Marley suddenly appeared before him, gazing eerily from the brass knocker. Scrooge jumped with fright. He leant closer to the knocker and peered at the spectre in astonishment. "'It's Marley's face, all right,' he gasped. "'Those are his old spectacles pushed up on his forehead.' However, as suddenly as the vision had appeared, it vanished. Scrooge shuffled inside, almost expecting to see Marley's pigtail on the other side of the door, but there was nothing out of the ordinary, and so he lit a candle and went upstairs. Scrooge had no fear of ghosts, but nevertheless, he checked all his rooms to see that everything was as it should be. Satisfied he was alone, Scrooge put on his dressing gown, slippers and nightcap, and sat in the living room before his feeble fire to eat a bowl of gruel. Then, as suddenly as it had happened before, Jacob Marley's face appeared again. 
To Scrooge's annoyance, each tile around the fireplace seemed to bear the face of his old partner. Scrooge rubbed his eyes and shook his head. Bah, humbug, he muttered. And it's got lots of really good drawings. I'll show you another one. Scrooge being visited by Marley. Yeah, it's a little bit uncanny valley. Like, these are figures that are recognisably human, but just a little bit sort of... It looks very lonely. It gets that sense of loneliness very well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know all the gross stuff with Tiny Tim. She doesn't go too hard on that at all. She's gone with a very light hand on Tiny Tim. Mm. So this is a really nice short version in a book with seven other Dickens stories all retold. Those are the adaptations that stay really close to the original. And then I've got this bridging one from... Is he our favourite Michael? Michael Rosen? We really like Michael Morpurgo as well. Is he our favourite Michael? I don't know. I'm not choosing my favourite Michael on the spot. He's a pretty good Michael, like. He's a pretty... Yeah. He's a solid, he's a solid Michael. One of our favourite Michaels. He's probably my favourite Michael. Okay, Michael Rosen has written this, I guess it's a teaching story. What it is, is a story about a boy who's doing a Christmas Carol as a school play. Oh my god, I forgot to say, Christmas Carol was the start of my acting career. I was, I was, <gasps> Who I was you? Scrooge Amazing. In, in year six, and we did it in the local church. Oh. And I got a, I got a shout at Tom, who was the, the popular kid, because he was playing Bob. It's a good play as well. Oh, it's great. It, it works work very well as a play. Yeah. Bar Humbug is about a little boy called Harry who's playing Scrooge in his end of year school play. And he's really into it. It's a performance night and his dad almost doesn't want to go. And then his dad gets there and gets a text from work saying, ah, oh, can you get on the computer? We've got like some big sale coming in from India. Really need you on the computer right now. So his dad walks out of the performance to go to work. So his dad is Scrooge. His dad hates Christmas. Ah, that's Um, clever. Yeah. And then, so his dad, on his way to work, thinks he sees a man he used to know, but who's long dead. So his dad, like, encounters three sort of ghosts, reminding him to go back and see your son in the play. Right, right. That's good. It feels like maybe not so much of a redemption because he's still like visibly walked out of the middle of the play. Like I sort of think even if he yeah. comes back, that kid's going to be like... Shall I read you a bit of it? Yeah, go on. That sounds really clever actually as a way to work the story. It's really good. He's done a number of these. So he always picks the same classroom. Um, so it's always you know the same teacher and the same kids in the plays. He's done another one called The Unexpected Twist, which is a retelling of Oliver Twist. Nice. And he's done one, a retelling of Macbeth via a football team called Macbeth United. Nice, nice. I see what you mean about that way of, like, finding a protagonist that's going to be relatable to that age group. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll read to you about Harry and his mask. Your Scrooge mask, Ray Gruber yelled as the family climbed into the car. Your Scrooge mask, Harry. I've no idea where it is. I'm just guessing. He switched to his sarcastic voice. Let me see. I wonder... Just wonder if it's exactly where you left it. Harry Gruber felt himself shrink under his father's words. He'd only been allowed to bring the mask home because he had pleaded with Miss Cavani to have it overnight so he could practice some Scrooge expressions in the mirror. He loved seeing himself turn into somebody no one noticed, an eleven-year-old guy with cheeks that were really annoying, he thought. 
too wide one day, too long the next, into a mean, crabby, whiny old man who hundreds of people would be staring at in the show, all done with what his drama teacher called a half-mask. It covered his forehead, eyes, and most of his annoying cheeks and gave him a new, narrow, slightly twisted nose. And yet underneath that was his own mouth, somehow looking like a new, not his own, very old mouth. How amazing was that? In front of the mirror, he had practised sneering, cackling, bullying, being shocked, being afraid, being regretful. What you feel, Harry, we feel, Miss Cavani had said. But we have to see it, dear. See it in your face and in your shoulders. That was a challenge. How do you show how you feel in your shoulders? Oh, I love it. That's so nostalgic for me. I remember, like, that (laughs) being that age and discovering the joy of, like, being able to be someone else. Yay. It's great. Oh, that's great. Man, his dad is mean. Yes, his dad is mean. That's a mean dad. (laughs) Well, it's a Scrooge dad is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Two of our books have got Scrooge dads. I'll get to the other one later. It's good in that, like, there are snippets of the original text. So if you want to see what that's like, they are in there. But they're sort of enclosed with Miss Cavani, the teacher's explanations of the difficult words. She sounds like a great drama teacher. Yeah. yeah, it's such a good book. It's really nice. And I think, you know, the school play is something a lot of young people have experience of yeah. to relate to. Yeah, especially at that age when it's like, you know, something that everyone gets involved in. Fabulous. I might get hold of that. That sounds great. Next up, the Christmas Carol movie novelization is very good. So in the Christmas Carol movie, the framing device is a little mouse called Gabriel who just sort of runs through the story, having his own adventures, but, you know, popping into each scene. They've also got Dickens as a character at the beginning. I'll read you the beginning of this one as well. This novelisation, by the way, is by Narinda Dami, who also wrote the novelisation of Bend It Like Beckham. Well, there you go. Chapter 1. Mr Dickens. 1867, Boston, USA. It was a cold December night and the streets were white with snow. A horse-drawn carriage was making its way down the main street, which was bustling with people. The biggest crowd was outside the theatre, and that was where the carriage stopped. People started whispering to each Mm. other, looking excited, and the theatre manager, Mr Gilman, rushed over to open the carriage door. "'Good evening, Mr Dickens!' Mr Gilman beamed as people stared at the famous man. "'This is a great honour. Charles Dickens climbed out of the carriage and shook hands. "'The honour is all mine, sir.' My apologies for our winter weather, Mr Gilman went on, looking at the snow swirling down around them. Does it snow in England, sir? Indeed it does, Dickens laughed. I remember as a child being up to my neck in snow, but of course in those days I didn't have a beard to keep me warm. Neither of them noticed a little mouse snuffling around in the gutter near their feet. The mouse looked up at the poster of Dickens, stared at it for a moment, and then scuttled off again. That mouse is your main character. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, for like a novelization of like a made for TV movie, very, very good. Also, interesting factoid Simon Callow plays Dickens in Christmas Carol the Movie and in Doctor Who's Christmas special with Dickens, which was called The Unquiet Dead. Oh, I think I've seen that one. It was a few years ago, wasn't it? Eccleston and Billy Piper go back to save Dickens from some. Spirits that possess the dead. There you go. Next adaptation, we've got a Jewish spin on A Christmas Carol. Hanukkah Shmanukkah by Esme Raji Kodel and illustrated by Leuyen Pham. 
so it's a picture book, but it's quite a big one, quite wordy. And it's about a factory owner in turn-of-the-century New York who treats his workers really badly. He's called Scrooge Macher, and he fiddles with the clocks to make the workers stay later for no extra pay, even during Hanukkah. Right. So because he does this, three rabbis visit him, and the first rabbi takes him back to the very first Hanukkah, which is when the temple was desecrated and the mm. Maccabees won it back. And it was so desecrated that they had to rebuild the whole thing and there was only enough oil left in the lamp for one day. But the miracle was that it burned for eight days and so they were able to rebuild the whole thing. And that's why you have the candles, don't you, with the... Yeah, the menorah. First rabbi's actually a really good teacher. He's like, well, if you say Hanukkah, Shmanaka, why don't you tell me what it's about? And so Scrooge Macher starts retelling the story and all around him it starts happening. He gets transported into the past... The rabbi of Hanukkah present comes and shows him Hanukkah in the houses of his workers, even though he kept them late and they got home late. They're still having a nice time. And then the third rabbi, who is a woman, which is very shocking to this turn-of-the-century bloke, comes and like shows him Hanukkah in the present day, in our present day. Mm. So a hundred years hence. Mm. And I like it because it's got a real focus on workers' rights. Mm. It's like taking the bad boss and gone this is a problem with capitalism mm, mm. so it tracks a workers rights movement that was happening around that time there was a big factory fire which led to like massive strikes and organizing and unionizing among factory workers it's really fun it's got all of these little yiddish words peppered through it i read you a little bit of this one as well past the tenements old scrooge macher's carriage rolled leaving long trails in the slush his nose wrinkled at the smell of laundry water, boiled cabbage and horses. The moon hung thin and emaciated, yellow like a fingernail cutting, overseeing the ghostly lines of laundry. It is a chilly night, Scrooge Macher thought, shivering beneath his coat. Did Moshe say he'd be home later? I think I will go straight to bed. But when he crawled into his bed, Scrooge Macher had a funny feeling in his gishers. It didn't go away, even with seltzer. That Farshtunica butcher sold me bad meat thought Scrooge Macher. It's not the meat, came a voice. A goniff, cried Scrooge Macher. But when he sat up, he saw a rabbi, hardly tall enough to see over the foot of his bed, but handsomely dressed in black with a silver talus and cheeks as round and red as apples. Don't ask me for alms. I put in the sedaka box already, Scrooge Macher lied. But the little rabbi only shook his head and chuckled. Oi, Scrooge Macher, said the rabbi. You are such a stunk. How do you know my name? Who let you in? demanded Scrooge Macher. I heard you like to butchka with the clocks, said the little man. It so happens that I do too. I am the rabbi of Hanukkah past, and I have arrived to schlep you to Hotzeplotz and back, so you will see that Hanukkah is nothing to sneeze at. Mm. That's nice. That's really nicely written. Keeping that vein of flowery description from the original yeah. quite nicely. Yeah, the, the moon is a fingernail. So that's Hanukkah Shmanaka by Esme Raji Kodel and beautifully illustrated by Little Yin Fam. And we've come to my last recommendation for the episode. This is a chapter book that came out this year by Catherine Doyle. It's called The Miracle on Ebenezer Street. Ooh, nice cover. So this is a modern retelling, or at least it uses the shape of A Christmas Carol without ever explicitly referencing it. 
it's about a little boy called George and his mum died at Christmas time three years ago. And ever since then, his dad has banned Christmas in their house. His mm. dad is the Scrooge. He's even a lettings agent. Ah, there we go. Called it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's really horrible to his tenants. Like, you overhear him, like, shouting down the phone at him. I don't care if it's Christmas, your payment's yeah, due, blah, blah, blah. Right. Except they just do it all by email now. They don't yeah. even talk to you. George really misses Christmas because his mum used to really love Christmas. And his grandma moved in with them after his mum died. And she really loves Christmas. And so what they do is they sneak off to the Christmas market while his dad's at work on Christmas Eve. He spied another cabin tucked away at the very end. It was absent of decoration, except for the crooked sign hanging above the door. It read, Marley's Christmas Curiosities, and underneath in fine print, Strictly no grown-ups allowed. Enter at your own whimsy. The bell above the door tinkled as he pushed it open. George was surprised to find himself in a room much larger than he was expecting. It was cosy, too. The floor was blanketed with fresh pine needles that made the shop smell of evergreen trees. Overhead, garlands of fairy lights hung from the low ceiling, setting a dim glow about the place. A girl and a boy were examining the shelf nearest the door. They were a little younger than George, and were arguing over a bright yellow parcel of sweets. Um, and this is how this book references A Christmas Carol. It never actually says, but it reuses a lot of mm. names and words. So, like, the old guy who runs the Shop of Curiosities mm. is called Marley. They live on yeah. Ebenezer Street. There's a newborn baby called Tim mm. for Tiny Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes into Marley's Shop of Curiosities, and there's this pile of Christmas crackers. And it says, one free Christmas cracker each. No returns, no exchanges. No um, responsibility will be taken if you're disappointed in the experience. And there's a couple of kids in there. And there's amazing things coming out of the Christmas crackers. There's like a snowflake that if you throw it in the air, it starts oh, to wow. snow. That's lovely. There's a grow your own Christmas pudding that's like a little tiny one. You put it in water and it puffs up to full size. Yeah. It's these really magical things. Nice. He grabs a Christmas cracker, pulls it, and it's right. empty. And he's like, what? But it didn't work. And um, one of the little girls goes, oh, you got a Scrooge. That's what we call it when a Christmas cracker's not got anything <laughs> <Nice>. in it. <laughs> so he's like, oh, fine. But it's only one cracker per child, even if you get a Scrooge. Oh. So he doesn't get a good present in the cracker. There's all these weird things for sale, like um, sweets to make you cry if you need a good Christmas oh, time cry. Um, and he's looking through these shelves of snow globes. And he finds a snow globe with in it a snowman. The snowman he remembers making three years ago with his mum. Right. The exact one. Wearing his mum's necklace and his dad's hat. And he's like, how is that in your snow globe? And Marley's like, don't ask me. It's this many pounds. Do you want it? So yeah, he buys it. He brings it home. And it turns out that it's a magical snow globe. George using this snow globe to do these miracles to convince his dad to change his ways and to stop banning Christmas and fun in the house. It reminded me in a lot of ways of Pog, in the way that it deals with the grief. I was about to say, I was thinking when you were when you first mentioned... Yeah, yeah, I think it deals with the grief of the little boy really beautifully. It has grief as an integral part of Christmas, which I think it is. Yeah, well it's a time for remembrance, isn't At it? At Christmas there is horror and there's sadness yeah. and there's remembering. I think what's nice about that as well, like... I guess the link to the original story as well is like the humanisation of the Scrooge character. 
because there's a reason that dad hates yeah. Christmas, right? A very understandable reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was thinking of Hog as well when you mentioned that. It doesn't ever overtly reference a Christmas carol, but sure. there's lots of little ones you can catch. Like, the cousins live yeah, on yeah. Cratchit Close. And, you know, a Scrooge is a Christmas yeah. cracker that doesn't go off properly. Marley is always reading a newspaper from 1843 every time you see him. Right. And right. George is like, why are you reading such an old newspaper? Why don't you get today's? And he's like, I prefer the classics. Right. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's it's nice. lovely. It's really nice. It You know, it just takes the very loose structure of a Scrooge, some time travel, changing your heart, but like brings it into a completely modern era. You know, there's mobile phones, it's modern London, updates it beautifully. It's got its own magic. It hasn't just stuck with the magic of the original. It makes up its own magical things, like the painting coming to life and like dripping oil all over the floor. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, really good. That sounds really lovely. That's The Miracle on Ebenezer Street by Catherine Doyle. Gorgeous. Oh, what a lovely little rundown. <laughs> Fantastic. So, that was Series 4 of Even the Trunchbull. We'll be back in the new year. Thanks again for listening. Once again, if you've any thoughts on books you loved as a kid... Or love now as a kid... Let us know, or ask a grown-up to let us know. We're at eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com, or catch us on Twitter and Facebook at TrunchbullPod. Intro music for this episode and every episode is What a Wonderful Day by Shane Ivers. And remember, kids' books can be for everyone. Because we've all been kids. Even, Even the Trunchbull. If you don't talk about the Muppets, I'm going to be bitterly disappointed. Of course! The Muppets is the best <laughs> film adaptation. There is no question about that, but this is a books podcast. Oh, we're not talking about the Muppets. Howie. Please, please. <laughs>